Good morning. We now join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. Well, who is Abraham to do this? I, who am but dust and ashes. Abraham, as there he is, he even says, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. But is he thinking highly of himself or is he thinking a low approach of himself? Very low approach of himself. He recognizes that he is dust and ashes. He recognized that here is God. God is judge of all the earth. And here is Abraham, but dust and ashes. And yet, what does he do despite of that? In spite of knowing that he is just but dust and ashes and God is judge of all the earth, what does he say he's undertaken to do? To speak to God. He still gets to speak to God. And I think in part, we need to look at this and know that, of course, we too are dust and ashes. We too are human. We have our place. We know that we are far lowlier than our God. And this is Old Testament. So we haven't gotten to the point where Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and he's been, become our intercessor and we go directly to the Father and all of the beautiful parts of Scripture that go expound on that. But because we know the rest of Scripture, because here we are New Testament Christians, let's think about this. We can go directly to God. We can undertake to speak to him. Let's go a little further. So there he says that. He says, will you not suppose 50 they're lacking a whole city? And then in verse 29, again, he spoke to them. Suppose there are 40 there. And God says, for 40, I won't do it. And then verse 30, Abraham says, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. (coughs) Suppose there are 30. God says, there's 30, I'll spare it. Verse 31, Abraham says, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Are there 20 there? And God answers, I'll spare it. And then in verse 32, Abraham says again, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again, but this once. Multiple times, Abraham goes to God with another question, another petition, saying to God, will you not spare it? He says, oh no, let not the Lord be angry, but he gets to talk to him. And the Lord lets him talk to him. And the Lord continues to go with this. Think about, he's, Abraham's bold. Right? I mean, that's a pretty bold ask. He's talking about, Lord, he's, I mean, he's asking him not to spare people. And the God's the judge of the earth. It's really God's responsibility. It's God's job. It's his role. And here Abraham is asking, would you spare them? Would you spare them? No, that's a bold petition. Multiple bold petitions. He's coming to the Lord, asking the Lord to do something. <coughs> Will God strike him down? No, absolutely not. And yet God keeps talking with him speaking with him and here he goes and then in verse we wrap up here in verse 32 God says for the sake of 10 I will not destroy it and then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking and Abraham returned to his place so we look at this and we could get sidetracked in Sodom and Gomorrah terrible wickedness we hear of it even referenced in secular literature today you might hear of things like Sodom and Gomorrah and they use that as a a connection type of wickedness but let's not focus on that focus here we get to see is we have Abraham speaking with his God petitioning him boldly multiple times now God's the judge and he'll do what he will do but Abraham gets to speak to him any questions or thoughts on yeah Paul
Right, thank you. I'm going to repeat so others can hear too. That we have also this desperation. Abraham's petitioning because he has loved ones in, the, in there. Absolutely. And can you, I mean, again, let's not get sidetracked in the whys and the what. But can you imagine Abraham's position, having your loved ones there and you're asking God. He says he's going to destroy this place that's wicked and there are your loved ones. You're starting to wonder why God and how and ask these questions. As I said, it's not for us to ask the whys and the hows. It's for us to focus on who is our God. So thank you, Paul, for that point. Thank you for reminding us of that. Any other questions or comments? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> if not for me, for your listening ears to not listen. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Any other questions? or? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I think it's just, I guess, ironic that there are, outside of Christ, there are no righteous. Okay. But God let Abraham go on with not going to find righteousness, correct? Well, and you have, and you have, and so this is before Christ has come in the flesh. So you have Abraham and those who are, are righteous going along with God's commands. Now, again, is anyone as humans truly righteous? No, because only through God alone, right? But yeah, I mean, you still have people like Abraham walking along the way, or as we'll see, walking in the way of the Lord are other phrases they use, especially um, in the Old Testament. God didn't with him on that sure. Yeah. Yeah. God could have said, yeah, well, you're all human. You're all, yeah. all have sinned. Cause, right? Yeah. That's interesting. That was yeah. Yeah. And there is mercy. Oh, thank you for reminding <laughs> The other thing, keep reading, by the way. Keep reading your Bible. Go on to the next chapter so we won't do it today. And God says at the end of our scripture passage today... I wish I could just end there, but I do need to point to the fact. God says in the ver end of our verse, you know, he says, for the sake of ten, I won't destroy it. And he goes and parts his way. Well, about a chapter or so later, he destroys it. Okay? And it's not that God wasn't merciful. It's that I think what we can look at that is see that clearly there was terrible wickedness that God as the judge of the earth saw needed to be destroyed. And that points again, attests to how grave and serious their wickedness is. If not even ten righteous were found there, that God would execute his judgment in the way that he did. So keep on reading and you'll see um, the rest of that narrative go. All right, let's go to Colossians. Go a whole different um, side of our scripture here. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, beginning at verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame 
by triumphing over them in Him. And here ends our epistle for next week. Oh, I was speaking incorrectly. We are going to use this epistle next week in our worship, St. Paul's. But anyway, a beautiful portion of Scripture. All of Scripture is beautiful, but here especially. Uh, so again, letter to the Colossians, context here. We have Paul writing his letter to the church in Colossae. Okay, And we have the portion that we get to read here today is part of, um, in some ways, a, a sermon, a preaching that Paul is giving to the people. Later on in Colossians, you get to more teaching um, and instructions, which and we in preaching time, we do put instructions as part of preaching. But especially here, Paul is proclaiming this message that the gospel news, and there's law in here too, but especially proclaiming to them um, this beautiful news of what Christ has done for the people. And in this section, especially, we get to the fullness of Christ, which we'll um, dig into in a little bit. But as you look at this, there's two things I want you to notice, is that this portion of Scripture is highly Christological, very Christ-centered. Of course, all Scripture is Christ-centered, but here, very pointed to Christ in so many parts, so many ways of these verses. The other thing is, so, is very, highly soteriological, which is a, f- a fancy way of saying highly focused on salvation. Okay? So here we get pointed directly, so clearly, so blatantly to Christ and our salvation through him. So let's go back to the beginning and look at some of this a little bit more deeply. <laughs> Verse 6, therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now those first few words I want you to think about, we might even glaze past them. Jesus, the Lord, Christ Jesus, the Lord, as you received him. But those short, few short words together, Jesus, the Lord are very much the very first um, confessions that were said in baptisms. Go back to the early church. It's the first baptismal confession that is really said in, in the history of Christians. Because as a, as a baptized Christian, it is con- your confession that Jesus is Lord. And so we almost even glaze over it. But here we have words that root us right to the baptism already. We're talking about a, lot, a lot about baptism today, by the way. Okay? It's because this passage just goes so strongly into it. So... As you received, so Christ Jesus is the Lord. That's your confession. That's the baptismal confession that is made. But go back to that word, received. And it is important to note the, the use of that word, that it is received. Being a passive, past tense word. Okay, because again, we're getting right to baptism stuff here. That it's a past event. Baptism is something that happened. It only happened once. So throughout scriptures we know we only need one baptism. Because one time it's powerful, it's effective, it does its work. God works the faith inside of us. It happened once. Now, let's be careful. Should we remember our baptism daily? Oh, okay, I know we don't participate a lot, but that should be allowed. Amen. Come on. Should we remember our baptism daily? Yes. Amen. We should, okay? So this is not in any way saying, okay, it happened, done, forget about it. But rather that baptism, through baptism, one time is all God's word needs to create that faith, to make you that child in him, to make you part of his holy family. And then that baptism keeps going on throughout your life. You keep remembering it. You keep renewing it. You keep living it. And as it says there, um, lost my place, that you, oh, there, end of that first verse, verse 6, that you walk in him. We'll get a little preachy here because this is stuff I'm passionate about. Your baptism once, but you walk in it. And I don't want us to get bogged down today in the whole walking. What does it look like to walk in our baptism? 
Because later on in Colossians, it talks about that. That's where Colossians later on goes more into those instructions of the Christian life. Here, this is primarily a section that's focusing on that God has done something in you, so walk in Him. Okay? So we walk in our baptism. And there, that walk is a present tense, meaning it's happening and it keeps happening. Okay? So no one misconstrue me. Baptism happened, but it keeps on being remembered and walked in and, and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so then we, um, we get, so a couple other things we get to talk about that is that it's only needed once. I already said that. But anyways, so here's where I told you I was going to tell you some stories today. Because how can I go on this experience with 34 of our youth and 22,000 throughout the country and not talk about it? Baptism is amazing and it's powerful and it's so cool because as I'm looking at this scripture to study it for you all this last couple days, all I could think about was our trip. Because St. Paul's, we get to celebrate next week a baptism that happened on our trip. We got to do a baptism through the power of God this week on our trip. We had a young girl who was with us on our trip to the National Youth Gathering, one of our high schoolers. And she's been part of our community for a while, been with us, but she's never been baptized. Which, of course, means she's also never been confirmed. Never been baptized. And she got to go with us. And we went to all this stuff. While you're there at the National Youth Gathering, if you're not aware, um, basically you wake up, you have Bible study with about 3,000 people. And it's really, really engaging. And then you go on from there and you get to go learn all these different sessions, they call them. Which are different people who speak on all kinds of things. All kinds of topics. And of course, the best thing is, all those topics are rooted in Christ. Because they're Christians. They're people who know that all of the, everything we do and say and think is rooted in Christ. They talk about everything from just being an athlete, from being a leader in your community, talking about some of the most heated um, or heavy topics like depression and suicide and um, eating disorders and body shaming issues, all kinds of stuff. And then we spend our night where we get to go to the mass event where 22,000 are all gathered together, a youth and adults alike, and we get to gather together around praise and singing our praise and hearing more um, speakers that are rooted in Christ. That's the digest version of what I spent seven of my days doing. Okay? Amazing. But here, back to our main point, because I know you don't just want to hear my stories. The main point here is through those times, this young woman heard the word of God. Now, yes, she's heard it before. But she heard the word of God, and especially through one speaker. She told me this, that the one speaker, especially was sharing the word of God, told her and said that through baptism, we're part of this family. And we need this family. And it's not about waiting, but rather that this is what God does for us, and he brings us into it, and we get to be a part of it. And she came up to me at the end of the worship service, and she said, Pastor, this is what I've heard. I want to be baptized. I was like, amen, let's do it. And you know what we did? We did it. We went, and this is a little bit non-traditional for us. But we were there, and it's like the story with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, right? So he goes with the eunuch, and he's talking with them, and, and, they're sharing the, and he's sharing the word of God, and he, said, and he confesses that he believes in the Lord. Because when we're not babies, you hear the word of God, and you say, yes, I believe. You get to be, go to that baptismal font wherever and whenever. You don't even need to wait. So that's what he did for that eunuch there. So we didn't wait. We went down to the hotel pool. And we went to the hotel pool and we got our 34 kids and our seven adults. We all jumped in that pool and we got her in there and we baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was amazing. And it was amazing. I see the emotion on your, your guys' eyes and faces and it's still emotional for me. It always forever will be. And one girl asked me this that I want to share too. She said, Pastor, this has got to be the coolest baptism you ever do, right? And still standing there in the pool, I said to her, no, it's not. Because every baptism is amazing. Every baptism is God doing a miracle. 
And I said to her, I said, yeah, this is cool. This is her story. This is amazing. I mean, and honestly, is it super powerful to see a young woman who's 14? She heard the word of God that finally convicted her, said, no, let's not keep waiting. Yeah, and get in a pool and do a full immersion baptism and surrounded by all your, your peers. And, is that awesome? Yes. But I also want to tell you who are sitting here, who are listening online and whatever, the radio, your baptism is powerfully amazing too. Because as it points us to right here in Colossians, that through that, you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. The Holy Spirit worked that faith in you, created that faith, rooted you in Him. It's just as amazing. And each of you have your own story. And talk about Pastor Thomas preaches on this today in our worship services. That sometimes we're led there in different ways. Sometimes people are led to faith through children. Sometimes they're led by their parents. But it's still amazing what the Holy Spirit does. So there's my side story that I was super excited to share as I studied this. Because baptism is amazing. And we were incredibly blessed so to have that come out of us. So, I mean, honestly, what better reaction can you have from the National Youth Gathering than have another one brought to Christ and brought to faith uh, through holy baptism? <coughs> All right. Oh, and next week, we're going to do a recognition of her baptism. I know I just told you about it. When we do do baptisms outside of the sanctuary, we want to make sure that we come together as a church family, as St. Paul's congregation. We get to recognize that. So next week we'll do that. So be there, and we get to be together and confess our faith with her. All right, so let's go on. Colossians. Back into Colossians. Look at the imagery. Now, going more on this, this baptism just gets deep here. But I want to point out this imagery. <coughs> Verse 7. Walk in him rooted and built up. And that word rooted immediately draws to my attention trees. Trees, of course, have roots, but, you know, you can get all kinds of plants with roots. But think about the trees and the usage of trees throughout Holy Scripture. Especially if you go back to Psalm 100, or not Psalm 100, Psalm 1, I'm sorry. Psalm 1 is the one I especially would, uh, would encourage us to think about. Is that if you go back to Psalm 1, verse 3, this is the, the blessed is the man. Blessed is the man, he is like a tree Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its seizing and its leaf does not wither. And we see trees all throughout scripture, but I want, to picture, I want you to picture this beautiful imagery. This tree, like in Psalm 1, planted by streams of water. It's nourished. It's nurtured. And so you too are rooted in Christ. And that is what nourishes you and nurtures you throughout your whole life so that you can walk in a manner worthy of him. We are, and, and the tree too, you think about their roots, it's incredible how deep their roots go, or they can be like half hanging out of a cliff, and you see the cliff and all the roots coming out, and yet that tree still stands. Because rooted in Christ, even though you think it's exposed, as beaten down by the world and all these other things, but in Christ it will still stand. In Christ you will still be able to withstand the things of this world. And then Colossians goes on to talk about the things of this world. Verse 8. See to it that, you don't be, that no one be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. What's interesting here is this word tradition. When I say tradition, what do you think of? Go. I say tradition, what do you, first thing you think of? Someone say like Thanksgiving dinner or something, right? You're all thinking it, you just don't want to say it. What we do over and over again, okay? When I think of, when I hear tradition, I'll admit it. I first think of like Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas traditions, right? Our holiday traditions we have. And I begin that way by encouraging you to think, this word tradition here, 
is not inherently a bad word or bad concept. Because tradition in the Greek is just uh, is used by a word that's to refer to um, something that is given over or received. Tradition being something that's given over or received. So in that sense, when you think about it, it's just simply something that's given over or received. Now let's think about what we've been given as the word of God, Christ is Lord, that which is necessary for salvation, that's been given over to us. We've received it. You go on later in these verses um, and it talks about how we've been taught the word of God. So we've heard the word of God. We've heard salvation through Christ alone. This is the tradition that's been given to us. Now we're not talking about turkeys anymore, okay? This is a concept, something been delivered over, given over to us. That's inherently not bad. You actually look throughout scripture, it talks about the tradition of the apostles. Those who follow Jesus Christ, passing over, down, teaching over, handing over the word of God, what Christ teaches. Problem is, Colossians here in verse 8 and following is not talking about the tradition of the apostles or Christ's true word. It's talking about philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, things not according to Christ. So we need to be sure that we follow what's been given to us by Christ alone, what is the word, and not by what things that may seem or sound or entice that are just according to human ways. Okay? Philosophies of the world, which we could spend probably countless hours talking about that, the philosophies of the world that could be, we could be overtaken by, the different thoughts and ways of thinking. Um, and the other thing that I would say about that is there was one session I sat with a bunch of our youth, and they talked about worldviews, worldviews that exist in our world today. And that especially brought home this whole point of philosophies of this world. That our youth, that all of us as adults, whatever age we are actually, are all encountered constantly by these different worldviews, these different philosophies of the world. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on the truth. The truth through God's word. Okay, so let's look at one more thing here, unless you have questions and the like. But then I want to go on to our gospel, because I don't want to neglect that for a second time I'm in here. Okay, so go on and we see in verse 8, 9. Verse 9, for in him, talking about Jesus Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And that one short verse, however many words that is, few words, ten or so, is an incredibly large amount of theology packed into it. Okay, break this down. You got dwells. The word dwells is in the present tense, meaning it's happening, it began at a certain point, and now it's happening. And it's talking about what is dwelling, the fullness of deity in, in, in body. So we talk about since the point in which Jesus is in the womb of Mary, he is in the body, in the flesh, and he dwells. Meaning at some point he didn't stop being bodily. Which, does that make sense completely to our human minds? No, it doesn't make sense. But it's a God thing. Okay, we confess it in our creed that he ascended into heaven. We see in scripture, he bodily ascended into heaven. He still has his, dwells in the body. So dwells, present tense, it's happening. Next, you have the fullness of deity. Okay, this Greek word that's used meaning full, of course, but completely full. Which is interesting, though, because this Greek word is also a playoff of what the Colossian heretics were saying, using to describe their full deity system. That all these different angels and rulers and authorities and thrones and dominions, all these different gods, false gods, of course. And that was their full system of belief. So here Paul's playing off of that. 
And yet he says the fullness of Christ dwells bodily. So the next part there, the word deity, fullness of deity, which is truly the divine essence of God. God himself dwells fully and then bodily. And this bodily here, I know we can over, almost overlook it, but if you look at the breadth of scripture, bodily here is the strongest possible language we can use to attest to Jesus' human nature. It's point that he is truly human. And that word also is a way that Paul can refute the Colossian heretics who might have fallen into the Gnostic ways thinking that the body is inherently evil. And yet here he says even God, the fullness of the divine God, is fully in human body. Now, I know we did that in a different order and we didn't say it all together, but does it sound like something we say together? Maybe those of us who at 8 a.m. worship say together in worship regularly. Nicene Creed, right? Especially the Nicene Creed gets to this, and then even the Athanasian. I know we don't say that one, but like once a year. But if you get the Athanasian Creed, you really, it really expounds on it. And here's a quote directly from the Athanasian Creed. The Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one. Here's a quote. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Okay? So yes, even though Jesus fully human is also fully God. So again, this stuff that we say in worship, our creeds and other things, it's all based on Scripture. We didn't just decide to do this stuff because it sounds good or fun or it makes it sound like a group that's together. It's because this is what Scripture has given us. And the creeds are important to maintain the way they are right now because they confess what Scripture is teaching us. As, I, as you just told me, this is the Nicene Creed because this is what it's the Nicene Creed is right out of Scripture. We don't confess our faith in the creeds, but rather the fact of what the creeds confess because it's scriptural. Sounds weird like I'm messing with prepositions here, but it's important. We base our belief on the Bible, and we've had these other things put together as Christians throughout the years, like creeds and the small catechism that has other portions, because those things teach us what the Bible is teaching. Those things help us to remember and to expound on what the Scripture is teaching us. Any questions or thoughts on Colossians? I want to be sure to get to Luke. No? All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 11. And we could spend a lot more time in Colossians and really digging into baptism because it's, uh, we could spend a lot of time there. But for the sake of this, let's move to Luke 11, verses uh, 1 through 13. Luke 11, beginning at verse 1. <coughs> Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. With a father among, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And here ends our Gospel reading for next week. Let's look at the context again. Prior to this passage of Scripture, we have Jesus sending out His 72 disciples. And then they come back and He speaks with them. Then He teaches about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, but immediately preceding to that, as we just heard in our worship here at St. Paul's, or you will today, um, we have Jesus with Mary and Martha. Together, Mary and Martha, and raise your hands. How many of you have heard the story of Mary and Martha? A lot of hands, right? Again, a familiar story, but good, right? <laughs> Excuse me. You have Mary and Martha, and you have ones worried about serving, and ones just simply focused on listening to Jesus. So here's the Reader's Digest version. You get the fact that Jesus is teaching us about worship here, and the fact that simply we get to receive what Christ has to give. And yes, serving is important. We don't want to neglect serving others. But right there with Christ, the word of God himself, there she gets to sit and she gets to hear the word. She gets to receive from him the teaching he has to give. And so if you look at that primarily teaching about worship, and worship then through that account, talking about receiving, worship is all about receiving, we teach in our confirmation classes. What is worship? Receiving God's gifts. Because in worship, yes. Do we sing? Do we pray? Yes. But the primary thing of worship is receiving what God has to give. His word and his sacraments. We just spend a lot of our time today talking about baptism. We receive it, right? We could go on about Lord's Supper too because through that we also receive. So if you look at this contextually, you have Jesus teaching about receiving what he has to give. And now, chapter 11, now what do we get to do in response to that? What's interesting about um, this, this scriptural account of the Lord's Prayer is it seems, from what I understand, this is the only one in which the disciples ask Jesus how they're supposed to pray. Now, does Jesus teach how to pray elsewhere in scripture? Absolutely. Okay? And not only Jesus, but then the rest of scriptures attest to and teach us how to pray. But here, we have one of his disciples in verse 1, literally says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay. And so he says, teach us to pray. And then here we get the Lord's Prayer. Now I know you can look in different gospel accounts and you have different versions of it. It's all teaching about the same thing. Okay. But we have now, we get to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Remember how I talked about in Genesis with Abraham? Thinking about that in the context of prayer, how he's speaking with God. Spare the people if there only be so many righteous. And this speaking, Abraham got to speak with him. So now we can see a link between the Old and the Testament and the Gospel especially put together by the lectionary to see we have the Abraham boldly petitioning God the Father and here we have Jesus teaching how to pray. Okay? So, um, the other thing on that I want you to think about is if then we take the, middle, the lesson in between Colossians talk about baptism. Through our baptism we get to be called sons and daughters of God. We are His children. Our heavenly, he is our Heavenly Father. Because we've been made His sons and daughters, we get to go to Him in prayer, asking Him for anything and everything. Isn't that a neat flow? 
Obviously, they worked on studying the scriptures, put that together. Okay? But think about that. Man, today we're covering so much of the small catechism, right? We got baptism. We didn't talk about Holy Communion a whole lot, but we could talk about that here or back in Colossians. We have Lord's Prayer. We got three chief parts already. Okay? And again, that leads me to say, we are not all about the small catechism, but rather about the Bible. We teach the small catechism because it helps us teach what the Bible teaches. But I, go, I get distracted on that. So we look at this, and here we have the Lord's Prayer. And how many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer before? Yeah, I, you humored me, okay? Um, of course we've heard the Lord's Prayer, all right? But I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer again. And just think about, we could, I mean, again, we could spend so much time in this. With our confirmation, um, we spend a lot of time on this because we should understand it. But think about it. Look, look at this, this count of it. Begins off by saying, Father. Acknowledges him as the Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. Giving the holy, he is holy. Keep your name holy. So if we just start there, we have the Heavenly Father. He is holy. Your kingdom come. You're asking for his kingdom to come, but we know it will. We know God, who is judge of the earth, will bring his kingdom. Okay, so give it all to God. But then, after that, giving it to God first, recognizing who he is, give us each day our daily bread. Which is one talking at petition asking for physical things. But you can also get into that and you can talk about some spiritual, the spiritual bread through the Lord's Supper. But especially here we hear the physical needs, our daily bread. What do we need physically? And then we move from there. Forgive us our sins, for we also ourselves forgive everyone. And how can we share forgiveness unless we first have been forgiven? God works in us. He creates us new. He gives us his Holy Spirit so we get to go out and share it with others. This was also a, um, I guess it was a metaphor he used, but President Harrison gave a, a, a message at the end of our National Youth Gathering. And he used this phrase, you can look it up on, on YouTube or find it, I'm sure it's there. But his phrase was, you put it in the bag, okay? So it's like God gives you a bag and he gives you a bag, he fills your bag up with the fact that he's given you his grace, his gifts, and then you get to go out and you get to share it. Okay, now I want you to be careful of something. It's not like we run out, okay? It's not like I run out. Now we come back to worship because God continually fills us. But the whole point of this metaphor is to share that God fills us with his grace and his gifts, and we get to share those. It's not just for us to keep to ourselves. But we get to share them with others. And God continually through us, he fills us up. He gives us what we need, and we get to share that with others. So I know all this stuff about the National Youth Gathering, if you go to their YouTube channel... Go to youtube.com. You can go to LCMS National Youth Gathering. They have a whole page, and they share a bunch of this stuff. The worship services, the worship services should be on there, the mass event, all that kind of stuff. So you can hear what our youth got to hear. But then we go on, and then lead us not into temptation. But we only have a couple more minutes left. I want to look at the last part of this scripture passage. Because if you think about it, the prayer in which Jesus specifically teaches them, those words of that prayer is short of our reading when we have all this rest, all the rest of the scripture that's here. So you have this, this telling of the friend who's at midnight, okay? Which of you who has a friend in verse 5, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, and the friend says no. Now, culturally speaking, at that time, if someone were to come to your door at midnight, it was, in reading, it was a responsibility of the whole community to help this person. It was expected. This is what you did. Now, it does sound terrible waking up at midnight, <laughs> Someone knocking at your door and asking for something? That's just what you did. So culturally speaking, it would be an, almost a non-question. So asking this rhetorical question of this person is actually ludicrous. Someone comes to your door at midnight, you do it. You help them. 
<coughs> and if nothing else, if you don't help them because kind servant heart, you help them because you're socially obligated to, and you're more afraid of also the shame you're going to get from the rest of your, your social contacts if you don't help them. All that to be said, the point is, you do it. And so here we get this, that the Father, who is the, the giver of all gifts, he, he gives. We come and then we get into this ask and knock and seek, because when we go to the Father, He gives us what we need. So I know it must always be said with prayer. Ask Him for everything. Of course, we know He doesn't give us everything. A lot of wants, a lot of things we think we need, He doesn't always give us those. But He gives us everything we need. And we can be bold. Go for it. I think I heard Pastor Smith ask, say this once in a Bible study, something effective like, ask him for that super fancy car you want. Do it! Man, I give it to you. But be bold in prayer. Ask him for anything and everything. Now, how is that fancy car going to really help you with things? I don't know. Okay, the point he made, though, and I share is, be bold. Ask for anything and everything. But God will give you what you truly need. And then one more point that this passage attests to who our Father is, is look at that last part. Beginning at verse 11. What father among you, talking about the people, what father, what humanly father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Instead of something to, to nourish, give food and what is needed, you give him a snake that's going to bite you. And I like to think this is a, is a venomous one, so maybe it's not going to bite you, it's going to hurt, it's going to kill you. He says, what father among you? And then we, he gives us just one more, because why not, right? He says, and then, if you, instead of an egg, you give him a scorpion. Again, instead of nourishment, what you need to give you what you, you, you need and nourish you, you get stung. Again, well, it's a venomous scorpion, okay? It kills you. And yet God says, even you humanly fathers, evil, sinful, sounds weird to think evil, but inherently with sin, that means that is evil, even you wouldn't do that. And yet, look at how great the Heavenly Father is. The Heavenly Father who is perfect. Heavenly Father who is righteous, who has not a single bit of evil in Him at all, never has, never will. Think of how great He is. And I use this to talk about the fact, too, especially when I'm with youth, the fact that you think about our humanly fathers. And many of us might have broken relationships with our fathers or our parents where maybe they did give you a scorpion did give you something that hurt you. Maybe they didn't give you the thing that you truly needed at that moment, because there's brokenness, there's sin in this world. But this gets to show us that no matter what sinful, broken families we live in, this world, the sin that's impacting us and our family members, we, through holy baptism, are children of the Heavenly Father, who is perfect. Now, yes, He may allow things to happen. Yes, bad things in our life happen. His wisdom is unsearchable. We can't understand why things happen. But we know who He is. He's the judge of all the earth, as it says in our Old Testament lesson. So when the end comes, when our time here on this earth comes to an end, who, He is our judge, and He will keep us with Him. Because now back to Colossians, we're rooted in Him, because through His Son, He's made us His. That's who our Heavenly Father is. Any questions or thoughts on that passage? Others, now that we've put them all together. All right. Um, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father.
Lord, we thank you that we get to come to you. That we can start our, each and every one of our prayers off with those words. That you are our Father. Our perfect Heavenly Father. That you are gracious and merciful. Yes, Lord, we know that you are just, too. But we give you great, unending thanks. That you gave your one and only Son. That you would still be a just God, but that through his life, you fulfilled everything. That you gave us life eternal. That through his body and blood, we get to receive your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, may you keep us rooted in him, that we may walk according to your ways each and every day. Remembering our baptism. Strengthening it through the means that you give us to do that very thing. And Lord, may you strengthen us to continually come to you in prayer each and every day. Asking you boldly for anything and everything. Especially, Lord, though, asking for the very things that we do need in this life. Especially the things we need to be strengthened in faith towards you. We pray these things in all things in Jesus' name. Amen.